And so the title of our lesson this morning is Living Like You Believe. And so some days are diamonds, John Denver said. Some days are diamonds and some days are stone. And so we have to remember this is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. So I want you to uh, keep that in mind as we give consideration to this this morning. I will go ahead and put this introduction slide up there. Christians desire to live a life consistent with their faith. But living a life of faith in a hostile world is challenging. We talked about that this morning, even in class. And so I want to consider these three points. There is a challenge that's facing opposition as we go through this life and striving to live a life according to our faith. But then there is perseverance, and that's one of the things that Peter is going to talk about here in 2 Peter chapter 1. That means staying the course, and then there's godliness, and we'll focus in on that some so that we come to understand what what he's talking about when he talks about godliness living like you believe two of the characteristics that peter mentions there in chapter one is perseverance and godliness and we need to understand what those mean because we'll take a look at those christian sort of virtues that we sometimes christian graces that Peter mentions there, but we want to notice how they kind of all fit together. And so I'm going to recall some things from, we've been studying First and Second Timothy, and not too long ago we studied First and Second Peter. And so I'm going to call to your mind some of the things that we've considered while we studied those books. Over in First Timothy chapter 1 and about verse 3, Paul was urging Timothy to stay in Ephesus. And I'll say a little more about that in just a moment. But I want you to kind of keep that in mind. He's telling Timothy, I'm urging you, stay there. Well, then over in 2 Peter, the third chapter, in about verses 11 and 12, Peter is going to talk about the end of all things. And he talks about the kind of conduct that Christians ought to have. When Paul was urging Timothy to stay in Ephesus, Paul knew the situation there because he had spent close to three years there. And Paul knew the political environment there because he experienced a riot that was there. He knew the religious environment there because the temple of Diana was there. He knew the false teaching that was there because he confronted those who were teaching false doctrines. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he urges him to stay there. And he knows the kind of things that Timothy is going to face. And in the second book, Paul is going to tell Timothy, I want you to preach the word and be instant in season and out of season. And at the close of that book, he says, I want you to fulfill your ministry, Timothy. Paul will tell him that his race is about over. And that he fought the good fight. And he kept the faith. And so we have to keep all that in mind. But now then, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, where he says that he urged him to stay there. That's the same word that is used over Matthew, the 8th chapter. When a centurion came to Jesus, and he was asking him to heal his servant that was near and dear to him. But the word is used there, translated there. It says he pleaded with him. Same word 
that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. So Paul is urging, Paul is pleading with Timothy, stay there. Why would he have to plead with him to stay there? Because <laughs> he knows it's going to be challenging for him to stay there. You're going to have to stick it out, Timothy, because it's not going to be easy. When Peter writes, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he's going to write to those of the dispersion, Christians in general. Once again, this is the early 60s. There's a lot of persecution that is going on. There's challenges to living out your faith, to live as a Christian. And so when he gets to 2 Peter chapter 3 and he talks about the end of the world... He said, considering these things, then what matter of conduct should you have in holiness and godliness? Think about that. Trying times, difficult times, persecution, and Peter says, what kind of conduct should you have? And what manner of godliness? So as you think about these letters that are written by Paul, and then you think about Peter, and you think about some of the common aspects of those, you think about, well, both of those were written by apostles. They were all written in the mid to early 60s. It was a time of persecution. And they were written by men who knew what it was like to suffer under persecution. And both of these writers will say at the close of these letters that they're not long for this world. <laughs> Paul will say, I'm already being pour poured out and the time of my departure is at hand. And Peter will say that the Lord has always show already shown me that I must soon put off this tent. Tradition says that they both died put to death in the mid-60s. So when Peter writes and he gives these Christian graces, virtues, and he talks about perseverance and godliness, he knows what he's talking about. There's challenges to live in the Christian life. So let me ask you a question before we go any further. You face any challenges in your life trying to live out your faith? Perseverance. Stay in the course. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6 is where Peter is going to say, and I want you to add to your self-control perseverance. Now as we give consideration to this and we think about their situation and then we think about our situation today. Let me ask you another question. Do you remember the good old days? Remember the good old days? Do you remember the good old days when we used to have debates over whether or not we should have a piano in worship? You remember the good old days? 
And then we would whip out passages like Ephesians 5 and verse 19 and Colossians 3 and verse 16. And we'd talk about you should sing with melody in your heart and you should sing with grace to the Lord. And we'd say, there's nothing said there about playing. It's talking about singing. And we'd say, so that settles that, doesn't it? Remember the good old days when we used to have discussions over whether or not baptism was essential? Remember that? <laughs> and we would say, well, Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Acts 22, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. James 2, Just as the body without the spirit is dead, so it's faced without works. That was the good old days. And then, there was a pandemic that came along. And so now, there are days when I open my eyes and I think, oh, I wish we could go back. (laughs) You ever feel like that? What happened to the good old days? And so there's now, there's pandemics. And there's vaccinations. Churches were shut down. Mask mandates forever, it seems like. And the government now wants to tell you what to do with your body unless you want to get an abortion. Then, that's still up to you. There's politics and gender issues. There's CRT. There's uncontrolled violence in some cities. And there's gun control in others. They're squelching the First Amendment. And then on top of it all, there's Zoom Church. Think about it. Think about it. Life in Christianity is trying. It's difficult. And we want to live out our faith. And so we're pushed and we're pulled and we're told to sit down and then we're told we need to speak up. And then in the midst of all that, I think about Galatians 6, about verse 9, where Paul says, Do not grow weary in doing good (laughs) and some days you may feel weary Matthew the 22nd chapter about verses 36 through 40 this is late in Jesus' ministry and he has faced politics and he will continue to face politics and the government and he will face religion And he will face peer pressure. And there will be some that want to pull him and some that want to push him. And then on this particular occasion, there will be someone that will come to him and they will ask him, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, All the law and the prophets hang on these two. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is likened to it. 
You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds simple, doesn't it? So too. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how's that play out? And then there's some days you feel like this. It sounds easy, but when you start to apply it, it's almost like it's impossible and it's challenging. And so in 2 Peter, Peter writes to believers. He writes to Christians. He writes to followers of Jesus. And he gives this list of Christian graces, Christian virtues. And he says that God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. We're going to take a look at that. But before we do, I want to stop for a second. And I want to say this. Because there's been times I've felt this way. There's been times I've known Christians who have done this very thing. And there are Christians who are trying to do this very thing that I'm going to tell you about today. And the very thing I'm talking about is this. Well, I know what I believe. And I'm going to heaven. And the rest of y'all, well, you can go other place. You ever known a Christian take that position? I have. And some think they can live Christianity that way. Is that the way Jesus lived? Jesus said the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. We're a follower of Jesus Christ. So what's our responsibility? Our responsibility is to live out our faith. It is not. Oh, this is what I believe. I don't care what you believe. And you just do whatever you want. That's not a Christian position. So Peter writes in 2 Peter. And he says. That I want you to add unto your faith virtue. And to virtue knowledge. And to knowledge self-control. And to self-control perseverance. And to perseverance godliness. And to godliness brotherly, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness love. And so we take a look around at what is all going on in the world today and we sometimes think it just seems overwhelming. And then we take a look at this list that Peter gives us there and we look, think about it and we think, that sounds kind of overwhelming. So let me run this by you one more time and see if you understand what Peter's saying. So Peter says, I want you to add unto your faith. You know where faith comes from? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You know what Peter just said? And keeping in mind that when Peter is penning this letter, this is the 60s. These people are facing difficult times. 
And Peter says, God has given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Here it is. I want you to take this. I want you to apply it. And you'll have what you need. And so he says, I want you to add to your faith. And that's where he begins. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So essentially what Peter is saying is this. Whatever issue that you are facing in life, in society, the first thing you need to determine is where does God stand on that issue? That's where it begins. Faith. That's where it starts. Starts with God. Whatever the issue is, what does God have to say about this? And then... To your faith, I want you to add virtue. As it was read this morning, some translations say moral excellence. You know what that is? You take a look at these different translations, and some say virtue, and we think, well, what what, what exactly does that mean? And then we think about moral excellence. Well, does that help? You know what that means? When he's talking about virtue, he's talking about the intestinal fortitude to stand on your faith. Can you see that? What does God have to say about this issue? And then I come to understand what God says, and the very next thing is virtue. In other words, I'm standing with God. That's where I take my stand. And to virtue add knowledge. You know what that means? I know what God says about this. I know where I'm taking my stand. And not everybody agrees with me. But this is what I'm going to do. Because this is what God says. And you know what the Hebrew writer says about that? He says, you will have your senses trained to discern both good and evil. I know what he says. This is where I stand. And this is how it plays out. And to knowledge, I want you to add self-control. You know what that means? I know what God says. I know where I should take my stand. I know how this is going to play out. And the very first person that I've got to apply this to is me. That's where I start. And then to self-control, guess what comes next? Perseverance. You know what that means? I know what God says. I know where I should take my stand. I know how this is playing out. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm not going to vacillate back and forth. And then to perseverance, I want you to add godliness. You know what godliness is? That's all those things that just came before it is now being applied to your life. (laughs) That's godliness. And then to godliness... Brotherly kindness. You know what that means? There may be a brother 
that's struggling with this. And you show brotherly kindness towards them. They may need help. And then there's love. And the word that is used there, it's agape. Affectionate. Sacrificial. Unconditional. Love. Whatever the situation is, you take this and you apply it. And you'll have everything that pertains to life and godliness. And sometimes it seems a little overwhelming. It's kind of like this. There was a group of sixth graders. And the teacher was giving them their spring big assignment. And this is what they were going to have to do. They were essentially writing sort of their first term paper ever. And she told them, I want it to be six to eight pages long. You can pick whatever subject you want. I'm giving you two months to do this. And so you come and tell me what topic you pick. So a little boy comes up and he says, birds. My paper is going to be on birds. She said, that's fine. Make it at least five birds. 68 pages long. You got two months. So the little boy rushed off. He starts gathering information. He gets it all together. He puts it in his room. And it's there. It's there for a couple weeks. And then it's there for a month. And then it's there for... To clear up to the last weekend before it's due on Monday. And then on Friday, she reminds them, don't forget that your paper is due on Monday. And he freaks out. <laughs> and he goes home and his parents can tell he is totally stressed. And so finally ask him, what is wrong? <laughs> and he tells them about this whole assignment. And that he's got information, but he has done nothing. And now it's due on Monday, and I don't know what to do. So his dad comes over to him. He sits down next to him, puts his arm around him. He said, I'm going to tell you what you're going to do. And the little boy looked up and he said, what? He goes, you're going to do this one bird at a time. That's what Peter's saying. What's the issue? And sometimes Satan and the world wants to throw multiple issues at us. And while Peter is saying, I want you to take this and apply it one bird at a time. And then you can figure out what you're supposed to do. And you stay with it. Faith comes from God. Virtue is taking your stand with Him. Knowledge is coming to realize how that plays out. Self-control, you apply it to yourself. Perseverance, you stay with it. Godliness is what your life turns into. And brotherly kindness is you reach out to someone else. And love is the attitude you have in all of it. It's Matthew 7 and verse 12. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 
Perseverance. Sometimes we say, well, that's just never giving up. But the actual definition means not giving up in the face of difficulties. The synonym is steadfastness, which means firmly fixed in place, immovable, not subject to change. The Greek word is hippomone. It's patient enduring and hopeful endurance and it's long-suffering. It's oftentimes used in the New Testament to describe men and women who are not moved from from their deliberate purpose or from their faith or from their loyalty to the Lord. It's the same concept that is set forth in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. Think about this. Exodus the 34th chapter in about verse 6. God calls Moses to come back up on the mount and he tells him to bring with him two tablets of stone. Now the interesting part about that is this. This is not the first time. This is the second time. And I want you to come up and I want you to bring two tablets of stone. And so after Moses does that, then the Lord comes down on the mountain in a cloud. And this is what he says. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord, the Lord, steadfast. They had built a golden calf. Moses had broken the original set. And God calls him back up on the mountain. And he's going to give them to him again. And he says, steadfast in love and faithfulness. That's who I am. Just because you messed up doesn't mean I give up. The book of Joshua. We studied that not long ago. And at the very beginning of the book of Joshua, God calls Joshua to him. He says, My servant Moses is dead. But he goes ahead to tell Joshua, I will be with you and I will never forsake you. In James, the first chapter, James tells Christians, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father and light uh, from the Father of lights, in whom there is neither variation nor shifting of shadow. What's he saying? He doesn't change. He's steadfast. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew the seventh chapter, when he says his the wise man builds his house on the rock. It's on God. On his word. That's the sure foundation for our life. And so, on those days when we feel like that, we're reminded that God is steadfast. 
And so when we face days when there's polarizing politics and trials on every hand and there's turmoil and there's days when we feel like throwing up our hands and going, I'm done. Peter's saying, no. You're not done. He's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. And so when Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus. He begged him. Stay there, Timothy. You're going to face challenges. It's not going to be easy. But I'm pleading with you, Timothy. You stick it out. And he knew that religion was not on Timothy's side. Politics we're not on Timothy's side. When Paul closes the second letter, he says, at his defense, no one stood with him. But he said, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And he said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knows he experienced on our own. We won't be steadfast. We won't be immovable. But with him, we can be. And that's what Peter was saying also. So on those days when we're wondering, can we persevere? Can we stick it out? Then what Paul and Peter are both saying is, don't look around. Look up. That's what they're saying. We can be steadfast because he's the vine and we're the branches. We could be steadfast to the end because Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We could be steadfast and persevere because Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In Ephesians 3, and about verse 17, Paul said, May Christ dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Who was Paul writing to? He's writing to the church at Ephesus. That you will be rooted and grounded When did Paul write that letter? He's in Rome. He's in prison. Is he not? We talked about that in class this morning. That's somewhere 60 to 62 Paul writes to the church at Ephesus. So that you might, Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith and you might be rooted and grounded. 
so that you won't be moved. And within a year or so, what other letter does he pen? First Timothy. And now he's telling Timothy, I beg you to stay there. Can we see that? So in the world of or in a world of unbelief and opposition, Christians, immovable. What Paul's saying, planted, rooted, like an oak, not moving. It's the same thing. Paul's talking about over 1 Corinthians 15 about verse 54 when he talks about death he says oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting in other words where's the fear and then in verse 58 I could ask James this right (laughs) therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Hippomone. Perseverance. When Peter pens that word in 2 Peter, it's a noun. He's describing something that is supposed to be a part of a Christian's life. When Paul uses the word in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it's a verb. This is the action you take. You won't be moved. David said in Psalm 16 about verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. So what's David saying? I have set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. You know what David's saying? If we just translate that into our own words. What he's saying is now I see. My eyes are clear. My mind is focused and made up. I know the rock that I stand on. And so my footing is sure. I won't be moved. Godliness. Living like we believe. In verses 5 and 6, Peter says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness. I want you to listen to this. I want you to think about this. The more that we stand, the more that we act upon the truth that is our God. Follow what I'm saying? The truth that is our God. The more we stand on that truth, who He is, 
What He has done for us. What He has promised us. The more we stand on that truth, the more we surrender our lives to Him. The more we put our faith in Him. The more He's making us look like Him. And the more that this happens, the more that this happens, then the more we glorify Him. And then the more we magnify Him. That's what Peter calls godliness. Eusebia. It's a lifestyle that arises out of a belief in the doctrinal claims that we make. That's the dictionary definition. In 2 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, Paul says, When I am weak, therefore I am strong. Now, I'll give this for your consideration also. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What makes him strong? It's God. It's the Lord, isn't it? But sometimes what we do as individuals, sometimes what we do as congregations, we become concerned with the breadth, some say, the breadth of our service. Hey, what are you doing for the Lord? And we get to think about that as an individual. Do I measure up somebody else? Or congregations. Hey, what's your congregation doing for the Lord? And so we get kind of caught up thinking about the breadth of what we are doing for the Lord. And before we get concerned about the breadth of what we're doing for the Lord, the first thing that we need to be concerned with is the depth of our commitment to the Lord. Because you want to know where the breadth of your service comes from? (laughs) It comes from the depth of your commitment. That's where Paul's breadth of his ministry came from. From the depth of his commitment to the Lord. Paul put faith in Jesus. Who he is. What he did. What he promised. In every situation. And when we do that. We have depth. And our lives will produce godliness. That's what Peter's talking about. Add unto your faith. Where does God stand on this issue? Add unto your faith virtue. Now you know where you're supposed to stand. (laughs) And unto virtue, knowledge. You'll come to realize how this plays out. And you'll have your senses trained. To discern good and evil. And make sure that you have self-control. Apply it to self first. And then perseverance. Stay with it. And when you stay with it. That's what produces a godly life. And out of that godly life. Show brotherly kindness. And love. 1 John 4 and verse 19, we love because He first loved us. As our hearts are strengthened in the Lord, 
as our hearts are strengthened in the Lord, you know what happens? Our thoughts start to change. And when our thoughts start to change, our words start to change. And when our words start to change, our affections start to change. When our affections change, our action changes. And when all that takes place, you know what else changes? Our identity. We're being made into the image of God. And when that happens, guess who gets the glory? God does. Guess who's magnified? God is. That's why Peter says he's given you everything that pertains to life and godliness. Add unto your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. Right on down the line. Perseverance, steadfast, stand firm. Godliness, a life that grows out of practicing what we believe. Christians attach themselves to the vine and in turn end up giving nourishment to those who are spiritually starving. Christians look to the one who's the light of the world and in turn we give light to those in darkness. Christians build their lives on the rock and in turn become rocks that others can lean on. And so our lives tell a story. And God doesn't want us to deny or to run away from the storm that we sometimes call life. But He wants to show us and strengthen us how we can stand in that storm. So Paul will close 2 Timothy by saying, The Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His eternal kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Perseverance and godliness. Living like you believe. I want to extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'd encourage you to do that this very day. If you've not been living as you should, and you're ready to make your life right with the Lord, if we can help, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.